Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Children of the night, come on into the cabin and settle in. Winter's grasp is loosening. We've had some warm days and cold days here in the Shenandoah Valley recently. Well, it's chilly this evening, so do settle in and get warmed up. Fledge drive season, so we will start our next four episodes, including this one with a reminder of how we have an operational budget that depends entirely on you. All four weeks, we will be hearing from Tony. Just before we hear from Tony, a couple of things. First up, Starship Sofa, our sister in the District of Wonders, has qualified for this year's Hugo Awards Best Fan Casts. If you're also a fan of Starship Sofa, give the link in the show notes a click and give them a vote. Secondly, the nominees for Stokers uh, has been completed. We have already reached out to all of the nominees for permission to air their stories for annual Stoker episodes. We have already heard back from a few, and things are looking good. In years past, we've missed a few due to publishing rights issues. I'm hoping this year that we'll be able to hear from all of the nominees. Speaking of nominees and voting, it's a presidential election year here in the States, so we have our own real-life horror show unraveling, and it goes on and on. Canada just had its longest campaign for prime minister with Justin Trudeau's whopping 78 days, and us Americans can't imagine how you could get a president in just over two months. We need a year and a half of it. <laughs> I won't get any deeper into politics behind my microphone, but I'll tell you, I've got a candidate that I want to win, but I'm sick of hearing from and about that candidate right now. So, American listeners... I'll have you listen to Tony, and hopefully we can divert some of that money earmarked for your favorite campaign to ours. And after that, we'll rescue American listeners and global listeners who have been victimized by our media coverage of a big top carnival that we call presidential election. Ah, here comes Tony now. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Tales to Terrify. As you know, well, most of you know, I am Tony C. Smith, who is the host over at Starship Sofa. And I guess the, the the guy behind the desk at the, the District of Wonders, though everyone's really kind of who works on the District of Wonders is behind the desk. 
slaving away to bring you some fantastic fiction and fantastic fact articles. And we did this a couple of, a few months ago, probably about half a year ago on Tales to Terrify. I asked Stephen if I can kind of come on. And in for one for a better description, it's coming out, you know, Tales to Terrify is coming out with cap in hand to see if we can get some, raise some funds to keep Tales to Terrify and all the other shows on, or the other two shows on District of Wonders going. And over this next month, we're going to have like a little fun drive just to, you know, get things up and away and secure and make sure for this 2016 that we're all kind of, you know, going in the right direction and funds aren't a, a problem. Trust us, funds are always a problem, but it's, you know, we, we kind of... Just need to make sure that everyone is kind of aware that Tales to Terrify, Starships Over and Farfetch Fables just basically relies on your kind donations. You know, last year we were lucky enough on Starships Over we had like a, a sponsor there who kind of, you know, took a lot of the burden off. But now that's gone. And, you know, big thank you to Octagon Technology who was there to support, you know, that show. And it kind of spread the costs over the three shows, but now we're on our own, 2016, we're on our own, and we've got to kind of look after ourselves, you know what I mean, I know Tales to Terrify, Tales to Terrify is going so well, do you know what I mean, it's, each week now, your download figures are more than Starship Sobers, and Star, this is the 10th year for Starship Sober. do you know what I mean, I've been doing this for 10 years now, Tales to Terrify, what Larry started, what Stephen and Scott and Phil have kind of done, Laura, it's just amazing, and we want to keep that going. Do you know what I mean? We certainly do. I certainly do, and I know everyone on Tales to Terrify, you know, is keen to kind of make sure we 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 just keep on going. Do you know? And we are going in a great direction with Tales to Terrify. You know, the, the figures show it. But do you know we need support? Do you know what I mean? It's just it basically is, is it comes down to kind of do you know what I mean we're kind of we need the support to keep going you know we certainly do want to kind of end up pod fading out and I mentioned the last time I did this drive we lost two shows basically because of that you know and it kind of cut me up something not right so you know what I have to do now is kind of put in place just you know these kind of little monthly sections where we kind of go and do like a little fun drive specifically for Tales to Terrify just to make sure that it can kind of pull its weight in the kind of District of Wonders. And all I'm asking, you know, pop over to our Patreon page. There's links all over the place. You know, you come to the website, you'll see all the links. You know, if for any reason you can help with, that would be fantastic. I totally understand, you know, if, if kind of funds are tight. Don't worry, we'd rather just have you listen to the show. But if you can, for whatever reason, just give a little a bit, you know, each month, that would be truly amazing. From the heart, that would be fantastic. So here I am, thanking you in advance for your kindness. It, it would mean a lot. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. We'll hear from you again next week. And for those of you who haven't noticed, the Patreon link will always be in our show notes. And for those of you who have already pledged to kick a few dollars, euros, pesos, yen, or cowrie shells, thank you. Let's get on to our fiction, hmm? First up, we'll be hearing from Mark Morris. Mark Morris is also one of very early authors that Tales of the Terrify aired. Back in episode 27, we aired What Nature Abhors by Mr. Morris. As I was visiting Mark's website to see if there was any updated biographical information, I noticed that he had received a shout-out from Clive Barker. It's on the front page. If Clive Barker had good things to say about me, you know I'd put them at the top of my resume as well. Mark Morris has written over 25 novels, among which are Toady, Stitch, The Immaculate, The Secret of Anatomy, Fiddleback, The Deluge, and four books in the popular Doctor Who range. He is also the author of two short story collections, Close to the Bone and Long Shadows, Nightmare Light, and several novellas. His short fiction articles and reviews have appeared in a wide variety of anthologies and magazines, and he is the editor of Cinema Macabre a book of horror movie essays by genre luminaries for which he won the 2007 British Fantasy Award, its follow-up Cinema Futura, and the Spectral Book of Horror Stories. His script works include audio dramas for Big Finish Productions' Doctor Who and Jago and Lightfoot Ranges, and also 
for Baffle Gab's Hammer Chiller series, and his recently published work includes the official movie tie-in novelization of Darren Aronofsky's Noah. Two novels, it sustains Earthling Publications, which was nominated for a 2013 Shirley Jackson Award, and Albion Fay from Spectral Press, and three new novels, Zombie Apocalypse, that's with an exclamation point, Horror Hospital, Constable and Robinson, The Black, from P.S. Publishing, and The Wolves of London, book one of the Obsidian Heart Trilogy, from Titan Books. Upcoming is Wrapped in Skin, a new short story collection from Shai Zine Publications, The Society of Blood, book two of the Obsidian Heart Trilogy, and as editor, the second spectral book of horror stories. Night Story can be found in Taps and Size, edited by Peter Crowther, and was also reprinted in Best New Horror 12, edited by Stephen Jones in 2001. And now, Mark Morris's Coming Home as read by Summer Brooks. Each time the baby kicked, Jane winced and recalled her mother gleefully telling her that she'd been a 10-pounder and that it ran in the family. It wasn't what she wanted to hear, but she knew Mom had just been trying to reassure her that her baby would be big and healthy. Snow flurried outside, tapping slyly against the window, making the house seem cozy. Radiators breathed out heat, occasionally one burbled, and Jane hoped they wouldn't break down like last year, not when it was almost impossible to persuade plumbers to come all the way out here at Christmas. Sometimes she wished her nearest neighbor wasn't over a mile away, but mostly she didn't mind. If they still lived in London, they wouldn't be able to watch the sun setting spectacularly over distant fields, wouldn't have badgers ambling through their garden at night, wouldn't be spending their lives accompanied by the soothing rush of the river which paralleled the narrow road that twisted for two miles before reaching the village of Brackley, where Jerry had his estate agents. The baby kicked again, so hard that Jane, crossing the lounge, had to grip the back of a chair to steady herself. She decided to lie down in her studio, and once the baby had stopped kicking, made her way not to the kitchen where she'd been heading to find something to nibble, but to the staircase, which she ascended slowly, stopping every few steps to gasp for breath. As she sank onto the camp bed in the cluttered room, which also contained her easel, her boxes of chalk pastels, a dusty bookcase stuffed with reference material, and dozens of stacked frames and half-finished pictures, she wondered whether she would go the full term. Today was the 21st, the baby was due on the 29th, but already she felt fit to pop. If she had it within the next couple of days, she might still be home for Christmas. However, ideally she would prefer to get Christmas out of the way before the endless round of feeding and nappies and sleepless nights began. She was just drifting off when she heard a sound coming from the landing directly outside her door. It sounded like breathing, though it was heavy, liquid, somehow sludgy. Jane imagined the man, she was sure it was a man, pressing his nose against the wood. She lay rigid until the stealthy ticking of the snow against the window became a sudden flurry, making her jump. When the flurry subsided, the breathing had gone. Jane lay and listened for five minutes longer, but all she could hear was the river rushing along outside. When she told Jerry that evening, he looked concerned, but tried to come up with reasons why she must have been mistaken. If the house was empty and the doors locked, then you must have imagined it. Besides, why would a man break into the house and then leave without doing anything? Perhaps he thought the house was empty and fled when he realized it wasn't, she said, trying to convince herself. Or perhaps we've got a ghost. Don't be silly. I won't have you scaring yourself witless over nothing. Not in your condition. I'm not scaring myself, Jerry. I know what I heard. Frowning, he said, I could always drop you at Katie's before I go to work. No, I won't be forced out of my own house. Don't worry, I keep the mobile close by anyway in case of you know what. She pointed at her belly. 
Despite her tiredness, she was too uncomfortable to sleep that night. She shifted with an effort from one position to another, rearranging the cushions she had been using to support her stomach and ease the ache in her back, but it was no use. In the end, she gave up and gazed for a while into the wavering darkness, listening to Jerry's soft snoring, the river telling him to hush, the distant cry of an owl. At length, inevitably, the pricking of her bladder prodded her from her cocoon. She shivered as she pushed the duvet aside, the night's chill coaxing goosebumps from her flesh. She pulled on her dressing gown and plodded to the toilet for the umpteenth time that day, then decided she couldn't face returning to bed. With luck, if she made herself a hot drink downstairs and stretched out on the settee with her book, she might end up dozing off. The lounge was still warm from the embers in the fire, whose glows lapped the walls. She picked up her book from the sideboard, then immediately dropped it with a cry of disgust. The cover was spongy and slimy, as if slugs had been crawling across it all night. As if touching the bloated paperback had prompted it, a smell suddenly touched Jane's nostrils. It was a damp, rotten, salty smell like decaying seaweed. She turned her head towards the kitchen door from behind which the smell seemed to be emanating and heard a bumping, slithering sound, as if something large and soft and uncoordinated was moving about. Though her instinct was to sink down into the shadows between the sideboard and the broken grandfather clock that Jerry was always tinkering with, she told herself firmly that she mustn't give in to her fear. She marched boldly across the hall, the tiles like ice beneath her bare feet, and pushing open the kitchen door to reveal a block of fetid and somehow bulging darkness, reached in and slapped the light switch. Did something clammy, something disconcertingly like slug flesh, briefly caress the back of her hand before the room was filled with light? Apparently not, for the kitchen was empty. No, not quite empty. The dank smell was still there, though fading now and there were patches of wet leading across the lino to the back door. Jane licked her lips, then also paced across the lino, taking care not to step in the puddles. She inspected the door. It was locked and bolted from the inside. Suddenly she felt queasy and faint. She needed to sit down. She hurried out of the kitchen, leaving the light on, and back into the lounge. She sank onto the settee, curled her hands protectively around her belly, and stared into the crumbling embers of the fire. Next thing she knew, it was morning. The fire was nothing but gray ash, and her feet were numb with cold. She tried to massage some life into them, then padded back across the hallway to the kitchen. The wet patches on the lino had dried, leaving no indication that they had ever been there. Katie, Jane's elder sister, picked her up at noon that day, and took her for lunch at the Leaping Hare, a pub five miles and two villages away that was on Egon Rene's recommended list. Jane had not told Jerry about her experiences in the early hours because he had woken up irritable, as if he was the one who'd had a night of broken sleep. Neither, she decided, would she tell Katie, for daylight had diminished the power of the experience, and she knew that relating it in the Christmas cheer of a country pub would only make her sound silly. Nevertheless, the experience preyed on her mind enough for Katie to comment on how quiet she was. I'm not getting much sleep, Jane said, and placed a hand on her stomach. Soon be over, said Katie, who had two school-age boys of her own. The food in the pub was better than good. The leaping flames in the grate at the far end of the room reminded Jane of muscles that the bellowing fire kept flexing. Once, she thought the tree guarding the cigarette machine had grown hot enough to burn, but the flames she saw dancing in its branches were only reflections in the baubles that the tree wore. Barmaid sported silver tinsel scarves, and Naughty Holder yelled, It's Christmas! from the jukebox, all of which helped Jane to relax. Nevertheless, she was frowning as she wafted at a thread of cigarette smoke, thinking of the baby when the landlord shouted, Phone call for Mrs. Granger. As Jane reached the bar, 
the landlord said cheerily, "'Sounds like your man's got flu,' and handed her the receiver. "'Hello,' said Jane, pressing a hand to her exposed ear to block out Shaken Stevens. She thought the connection had been broken until she realized it was not static she was listening to, but sludgy, tortured breathing. "'Who is this?' she demanded, sharply enough to earn several curious glances. Did the breathing possess a voice that was attempting to form words? It seemed to be gurgling. Jane put the phone down. Though she was shaking, the pub suddenly seemed too stuffy. She stumbled back to her seat and plumped down, her breath coming in short gasps. Are you all right? asked Katie, alarmed. You look terrible. Jane blurted out everything. She didn't care anymore how silly Katie might think her. Her sister listened with pursed lips, then paid the bill and took her home. Later, Jane was following a trail of dying fish up the stairs, their twitching silver bodies gleaming like Christmas decorations. Did the slow, squelching footsteps she could hear belong to her or to whoever had left the trail for her to follow? She inched open the bathroom door and caught a glimpse of the bloodless, slimy flesh of the figure in the bath as it turned its dripping ruin of a face towards her. She woke with a cry, Katie sitting beside her. The late afternoon darkness outside the window was hard and cold like black ice. The next day was Saturday. As Jerry went to the supermarket and to pick up the tree they had ordered, Jane stayed in by the fire. She turned the radio up loud enough for the carol singer's voices to become distorted on the high notes. The sound she could hear in the pauses between hymns was not sludgy breathing, but the gurgling of the river across the road from the house. When the phone rang, she almost left it, but eventually snatched it up and aggressively said, Yes? It was Katie, who seemed not to notice her tone ringing to ask what time she should invade with her clan on Christmas Day. Soon afterwards, Jerry arrived home, full of Christmas cheer and laden with goodies. They sipped wine as they dressed the tree, then settled down to watch It's a Wonderful Life, as snow swirled around the house like a swarm of white flies looking for a way in. Jerry rested a hand on her stomach as the baby squirmed and smiled soporifically. There'll be three of us next Christmas. She kissed him on the nose. There's still time for there to be three of us this Christmas. Though she had only drunk two glasses, the wine helped her fall asleep quickly that night, but in the early hours she jolted awake, as if someone had shaken her. Immediately she heard the sound of something rustling stealthily by the window. She looked in that direction and saw a figure with a pale, round head and rudimentary features. She sat up so suddenly that she wrenched her stomach, waking the baby, though even as the pain made her gasp, she realized what she had really seen and heard, the glow of the moon through the curtains, the sound of the snow settling on the window. She was snuggling down again when she heard a screech of tires from the outside, followed by a thunderous splash. Instinct made her want to leap out of the bed, though her aching stomach forced her to perform the maneuver with care. She hurried to the window and yanked back the curtains. Could she see car headlights sinking beneath the river, or was it merely an odd reflection of the moon? Certainly there appeared to be something large and black just beneath the river's surface. Jerry! Jerry! Try as she might, Jane could not wake him. He had always been a heavy sleeper, and he had drunk far more wine than she had. Dragging on her dressing gown and a pair of trainers, she hurried downstairs and out of the house. It was bitterly cold, though the snow's kisses were gentle on her face. The river, its banks crusted with ice, flashed as if filled with churning chunks of metal. Taking care not to slip, Jane craned forward to peer into the water, but could see nothing. Turning back towards the house, she saw a figure standing by the front door that she had left ajar. 
it was only a momentary glimpse before a swirl of snow broke it up and carried it away, but she was left with the impression of bloated white flesh and dark clothes slick with water or slime. A pulse jumped in her throat as she stalked back to the house, her nervousness making her angry. Inside, she went straight to the phone and called the police, who arrived 20 minutes later and spent almost an hour searching the river to no avail. Are you sure you'll be all right if I pop out for a couple hours? Jerry asked her the next day. It was Christmas Eve, and his friend Graham, who he played five aside with, had invited him for a pint with the lads. I'll be fine, Jane said, secretly relishing the chance to be on her own for a while. Jerry had been bemused to find police on his doorstep at three in the morning, and had spent the day treating her with a kind of amused indulgence. When he said something about pregnant women's hormones doing funny things to their minds, she had to stop herself from thumping him. She was angry when he wasn't back by nine, but didn't really start worrying until after eleven. By midnight, her anxiety was a hard lump at the base of her throat. She phoned Katie, who was up late wrapping the boy's presents, and who came over immediately. Jane had just decided to call the police when they arrived with a swish of tires on the snowy drive. Katie held her as the power of her dread seemed to make them say the words she had been expecting to hear. Coming back from the pub, Jerry had lost control of the car, which had plunged into the river. The accident had happened several hours ago, but it had taken a while for the police divers to recover his body from the submerged vehicle. After the police had gone, Jane sat and stared into space as Katie wept and clung to her. Jane felt numb, unable to produce tears. The Christmas tree twinkled in the corner like a joke in appallingly bad taste. The baby that Jerry had been so looking forward to, but which he would now never see, moved inside her. But Jane felt distanced from it and its imminent birth. Later, in a flat voice, she said, He tried to warn me. Katie, bleary with tears and exhaustion, said, What? Everything that's happened, don't you see? It was Jerry coming back. Why didn't I listen to what he was trying to say? Kitty looked at her for a moment, then said softly, Jane, you don't know what you're saying. How can anyone come back to you before they're even... She choked on the last word. Jane's face was expressionless, her voice eerily calm. He wanted this baby so much, so he found some way. Then, suddenly, shockingly, her face twisted and she was wailing, almost screaming, the grief pouring out of her. It was five o'clock on Christmas morning when the knock came on the front door. Katie was asleep in an armchair, so exhausted that she didn't even stir. Jane was still awake, quiet again now, shattered though unable to sleep, staring into the fire. She padded into the hallway and pulled the door open. When she saw what was standing outside, she remembered the phone call in the pub and all at once realized what the caller had been trying to say. Jerry had wanted her to know that nothing in this world or beyond would prevent him coming home for Christmas. That was Mark Morris's Coming Home, as read by Summer Brooks. Summer Brooks is a woman with many skills and no idea yet how to focus her powers for good. Currently, she is the executive producer for Slice of Sci-Fi, a serious XM radio show and YouTube web series dedicated to sci-fi entertainment news, co-host of the Babylon podcast, and host of the kick-ass Mystic Ninjas. Link will be in the show notes. Summer also writes sci-fi, fantasy, and mystery thrillers, with the occasional monster movie added in for variety. Thank you, Summer.
Next up will be a story from Paul Kane. We've been hearing a lot from Paul recently, so dear listeners, you may have heard about this fellow a time or two before. And I won't remind you to take a look at his Hellraiser stuff on his homepage this time. I'm sure you have already done that by now. Paul Kane was born in the town of Chesterfield, Derbyshire, in the UK in 1973, and grew up on an estate not too far away. The son of a miner and a former secretary, Paul developed a taste for the strange and outlandish at an early age. After his granddad read him a bedtime story about a mysterious house that dwelt within a sea of fog, in his early teens he discovered the joys of horror, science fiction, and fantasy literature, raiding the local second-hand bookshops for anything and everything associated with these genres. Paul read insatiably, often sneaking away during school dinner hours to lose himself in the pages of such tomes. Paul has a very detailed biography on his website, which is, of course, linked in the show notes. He has an enormous collection of writing accomplishments, much more than we can count here. However, most recently, his new novel from SST Publications, Blood Red, is now available. Now, we will hear Paul Kane's Life-O-Matic. Jeff woke rested, but then he always did. Why wouldn't he? He was sleeping on the snooze-away adjustable bed, which, as he'd explained to his wife June just last night, could be adjusted to any position, plus the mattress molded itself to the sleeper's body, thus allowing for a deep and satisfying sleep. But something was different today, something... June was already awake and was lying beside him, staring emotionless at the ceiling. Then a smile broke on her face, a big fake grin, and she seemed to rise up sideways out of the bed, her hair immaculately permed using the latest at home hairstyling technology from Bevnon simultaneously curling and nourishing each lock of hair, as she'd explained at great length when she'd been demonstrating how it worked. "'Morning, Jeff,' she trilled as she got out of bed and stretched. Then she ran her hands down her long nightdress, not in any kind of seductive way, more as a pity, but rather to illustrate that the material hadn't creased overnight." Can you believe it? I've been in bed seven hours, and it stayed silky smooth, she said, beaming. But not to him, never to him, to the thin air over his shoulder as he himself rose, using the remote to lift his side of the bed. It was how they always talked, off past each other's shoulders, never If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Directly looking at each other. And all for only $9.99. Now that's what I call a real bargain. Jeff nodded. The deluxe OT's maid was already percolating, and June gestured to it with her hands like a model on a game show, waving them around it as she drew attention to all the special features. Just press this button for milk, this one for sugar, after pouring him a cup, she went into the adjoining bathroom, and he heard the shower begin. Something was different. He felt different. Jeff got up off the incredibly comfortable bed and went through to join her. He got a start when she peeked around the side of the curtain, raving about the new Aquatonics shower gel they'd invested in. June was so impressed, in fact, that she began making strange noises in there, the kind of noises Jeff couldn't ever remember her making with him. Yes, 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 she shouted. Shaking his head, Jeff squeezed a length of toothpaste onto his electric toothbrush, talking to the mirror as he cleaned his teeth. It's the multiple stripes, you see, he burbled, that tackle bacteria and bad breath, and the yawn-vibrating triple-action brush that dislodges plaque from your teeth, leaving them shining so white. He gave a little chuckle. He'll dazzle everyone. What was that, sweetheart? June asked, taking a break from her orgasmic pleasures with the gel. Oh, nothing, said Jeff. You're different. Back in the bedroom, Jeff went over to the wardrobe. As he dressed in his shirt and trousers, he felt an uncontrollable urge to walk up and down, parading them in front of June, pointing out the anti-crease cut and the liquid-resistant thread. A freshly dried June, for her part, did the same, first walking up and down in her camisole and short set, hands on her hips, explaining that it was part of the Janice Picard Intimates collection. A fabulous designer, she assured him. The camisole top can also be worn on an evening out, she said to Jeff, again shooting for well over his shoulder. Next, she put on a light summer dress, which she told him was practical for either inside or outside on days like this. The kids... Jamie, five, and Janet, eight, were already up by the time they made their way into the kitchen. Jeff and June found them sitting at the kitchen table. Good morning, children, June said in that ever-so-happy voice. Good morning, Mum. Morning, Dad. Jeff waved hello as June went to the cupboards and took out bowls and cereal for them. With these, she confided in Jeff, once more looking to the left of his head, we can give them their recommended daily intake of vitamins C, B12. Jeff tuned out for a moment or two while she reeled off a bunch of numbers and chemicals just like she did every morning, every single morning, coming back only when she got to the whole grain announcement. Plus, we can make breakfast time fun. He watched as she poured the star-shaped things into the bowls, then went to the fridge for milk. A fridge, she informed him again, which kept everything chilled to the proper degree, using science developed in the space program. 
for the pair of them she popped slices of toast into their multi-slot toaster. See, it has space so that everyone can have a slice if they want one. Then she went through the whole procedure of cooking their breakfast using the stylish but affordable oven with grilling function, ideal for those of us who want to keep an eye on our health. June winked at him, same as always. Then she cracked eggs into the frying pan, though not before holding the pan up to show Jeff the revolutionary hot spot in the middle that tells you when your pan is hot enough to cook. Just imagine! No more guessing, Jeff! Just imagine! Jeff didn't have to. He saw it every day. And it was explained to him every day. As he sat down, he felt himself doing the same, talking to Jamie and Janet about the virtues of the particular brand of orange juice they were drinking. So you see, children, he said, looking past them into empty space, you can get one of your five a day just by drinking up all your sweet and tasty sun-filled delish juice. The kids smiled and nodded vigorously. During breakfast, nobody spoke much, except June, to preach about the virtues of their new Senko instant decaffeinated coffee, smelling the cup and going, ah. Then afterwards, she took the pots, scraped them, and placed them inside their dishwasher, which, she warned, you have to look after by destroying the limescale periodically and then praised the tablets she was using for their ability to deal with grease and really dried on food. Why are you telling me this again? By the time the kids were ready for school and Jeff was ready for work, June already had her ironing board out, complete with steam-powered Murphy Pritchard's iron, which left clothes already smelling lemon-fresh from the machine, shop new, June gave him a peck on the cheek and wished him a nice day. As Jeff walked outside and waved off the children, who were singing about the processed cheese in their packed lunch as they made their way to the bus stop at the end of the street, he noticed his retired neighbor, Norman, was cutting his hedges. "'Morning, Norman,' said Jeff, looking past him to the garden beyond. That's a mighty fine piece of equipment you've got there, if you don't mind me saying so. Good morning to you too, Jeff. Indeed it is. Part of the Master Gardener collection, it retails for about fifty pounds and will slice through just about anything. Other equipment in the range includes the Master Gardener lawnmower, which can tackle even the most overgrown of lawns. He laughed at this as if he'd just heard a particularly funny joke. Precision strimmer! Electric triller! Norman went on to list every single item available in the Master Gardener collection, then finished off by saying Jeff should come round and see his shed sometime. A steel at just under four hundred pounds. Somehow Jeff knew he'd already seen Norman's shed more times than he cared to remember, but he thanked him anyway and promised he'd be round soon for the tour. Then Jeff went on at length about the mileage and maneuverability of his new family car, running his hands down the side and finishing off by tapping the top. Why do I always do that? he asked himself. Why do I do that every morning? Jeff shook his head, climbed in, and started the car. He pulled out of the drive and headed off to work at the insurance company. Jeff's working day, as always, was punctuated by people in his office telling him how competitive their own rates were, or by snacking on chocolates that they kept promising him, as if he cared, containing less than 100 calories per bag. I just don't give a shit. Andy, he said finally at about half-past two in the afternoon to his colleague who sat opposite, a balding man even though he was only in his early thirties, do you ever think that 
Sorry to stop you there, Jeff, but I've just been informed that we're slashing our prices. Yes, that's right. Be part of the Mutual Alliance family, and you could benefit from all kinds of rewards. Where Andy had just been informed from was anyone's guess, as he wasn't even on the phone. But Jeff held up his hand to halt the patter he'd been hearing all day. Listen to me, don't you ever feel that things... He attempted to shift his gaze sideways to look directly at Andy, but he couldn't manage it. I don't know, it should be different to this? That life should be about more than deals and things? What about friendship? I mean, when was the last time we went down to the pub for a drink, or... Andy shook his head, looking firmly past Jeff at the window outside. Not quite following you there, buddy. We went out not long ago and sank a few of those cold, refreshing beers that reached the parts other... Forget it, said Jeff, looking down at his desk. The papers on it were blank, the screen on his computer, a top-of-the-range bell one with printer and scanner thrown in, a mess of jumbled letters and words that didn't make sense. He couldn't remember doing any actual work today, but that he couldn't remember the last time he'd done any work for this firm at all. Look, I, I don't feel so well. Immediately, Andy was reaching into his pockets for the solution. You should try these. New pain-away extra. They get rid of your headaches and give your tired muscles a massage as well. Jeff ignored him and got up, leaving his desk to go home. When he walked in through the front door, he found June in the living room, exercising to a DVD made by some celebrity Jeff couldn't remember the name of. She was dressed in a leotard, complete with headband, and was jumping up and down in time to the music. Uh, hello, Jeff ventured. June paused for a moment from her endeavors, suddenly grinning, though Jeff suspected it was more because she'd just got an audience than being pleased to see him. She never asked what he was doing back so early or whether he was sick, just simply said, Jeff, this workout is fantastic. It tones not only the stomach muscles, thighs, and buttocks, but also gives the cardiovascular system a good going over. You really should try it sometime. Yes, uh, maybe sometime. Jeff was about to leave when June called him back again. Next, I'm going to have a go on our new elliptical trainer, she said, pointing to a piece of equipment that looked like it had come out of the dungeons of the Spanish Inquisition. It provides a low-impact workout, unlike using a treadmill, because your feet don't leave the ground at impact during exercise. Once more, she was looking over her shoulder when she talked. June, he asked her, his tone serious, do you remember our wedding? She looked at him, or rather, beyond him, blankly. Then, without warning, she blurted out, my dress was an absolute bargain, designed by J. Hurier. It was the perfect addition to any bride's day. What do you remember about us, about you and me, about how you felt? He asked, desperately trying to drag his eyes across to focus on her. She looked puzzled. Then she smiled a broad smile again and said, we were given lots of presents, including a deluxe sandwich maker which had little trenches to prevent overspill of any melted cheese and... Forget it, Jeff told her. Doesn't matter. He walked away, head slumped. Wait, Jeff, sweetheart, I haven't told you about the special features at our new rowing machine yet, he heard June call as he headed up the stairs to the bedroom to lie down. By the time Jeff came back downstairs again, the kids were home from school, and June was already preparing the dinner, chopping up vegetables for the meal using her ultra-blades, which, as she demonstrated to him time and time again, 
could cut through anything, even metal tins. She offered to do this once more, but Jeff declined, politely. June smiled and did it anyway. Then she demonstrated how her automatic peeling device saved her time and effort in the kitchen by shaving the skins from her potatoes. You simply pop the spud on the spike and voila! The peeler does all the work for you, and we can finish off the mash by using our handy Bolinix blender. I think, I think I'm going mad, thought Jeff. When he took a seat beside the kids at the dinner table, they both expressed their hope to him that they were having fish fingers from Captain Cod-Eye's table. "'They're full of omega-3, Daddy,' said Janet, resting her chin on her hand and looking over her shoulder. "'Essential fatty acids, also known as polyunsaturated fatty acids, these play a crucial role in brain function as well as normal growth and development.' What? What kid talks like that? June brought over the mash, fish fingers, and veg for their dinner. And the whole thing only took half an hour to prepare, she said, looking directly at the wall. Bon appétit! Jeff forked the food into his mouth, but it tasted oddly bland tonight. When the kids were tucked up in bed, he turned on the TV, their superb, high-definition television set that hung on the wall, with picture and sound quality so real you'll think you're actually there. But June, excited, wanted to tell him all about the set of books that had arrived from Life and Times. Buy the first volume, History of the Incas, and get the second one absolutely free, June promised. Something, something's wrong here, very wrong. When they were getting ready for bed, he couldn't contain it any longer. June, he said, I'm starting to think that things aren't how they're supposed to be. She frowned, but not at him, at the dresser, beyond. I don't know what you mean, she replied. We have everything we could ever want, including these flame-retardant pillowcases, only... June, would you look at me? He grabbed her arms. Please? She blinked several times, but couldn't do it. He, on the other hand, was looking directly at her. He kissed her then, not as they did in the morning when she was seeing him off for work, but hard, urgent, on the lips. When he pulled back, there was no reaction whatsoever from June. Then she smiled, and Jeff's heart skipped a beat. I think someone's got a touch of indigestion from dinner. Now if you just take one of these easers, you'll bring express relief and... Jeff shook her. I haven't got indigestion, for heaven's sake. June, I can't remember the last time we made love, can you? His wife frowned again, but said nothing. In fact, I can't remember ever making love to you. We have the kids and everything, so we must have. But they never get any older, do they? None of us ever get any older, and we do the same thing day in, day out. June, I'm beginning to think none of this is really real. Nonsense, she told him, still looking over his shoulder. You just need a good night's sleep on the snooze-away adjustable bed. She nodded, as if it was his turn to speak. When he said nothing, she prompted. Aren't, aren't you going to explain about how it can be adjusted to any position, and the mattress molds itself to the sleeper's body to allow for a deep and satisfying sleep? Jeff let her go and climbed into bed. It was surprisingly uncomfortable. "'Good night, darling,' said June, switching off the light, and for a moment or two he could imagine he actually had a wife that cared about him more than she did about the furnishings. But then she talked about how the energy-saving light bulbs they were using would shave pounds off their next electricity bill. 
It took Jeff a long, long time to get to sleep, and he knew in the morning he would feel anything but rested. It was like that for the next few days. Jeff was starting to notice more and more things about the world around him, more and more that simply didn't add up. For one thing, the place was always spotless, no litter, no mess, not even in the kids' rooms. And yes, as June kept telling him, they had dozens of cleaning implements that could reach into even the smallest of nooks or crannies, but Jeff never actually saw her using any of them, only on small sections of the carpet, which she would spill wine on deliberately, just to show him how easy it was to foam away. There were no family photos in their house either, nor albums in the drawers. He had vague memories of them all going to Puntlands for holidays, but these seemed to be just fleeting images of them on rides at a show, splashing around in a pool. Nothing more substantial than that. And when he tried to think harder about it, the memories just slipped through his fingers and floated off like someone trying to keep hold of the string of a balloon. The weekend came around as it always did, ahead of yet another week of work. Jeff still couldn't get to the bottom of what he did exactly, but he must get paid for it. How else were they affording all this stuff that they didn't really need? In spite of June trying to coax him out of bed with tea or coffee from the tea's mate, Jeff pulled the covers over his head. If she'd pushed it, he might just have grabbed the pot and thrown it all over her. See what kind of reaction he got then. See if she looked over his shoulder or actually at him. He eventually surfaced around noon, bags under his eyes. Beaming, June told him that she was taking the kids out to the mall, and they'd be back around tea time. You can fix yourself something to eat using the... Jeff held up his hand for her to stop. He couldn't take another reeling off of the appliances in their kitchen. But I was just going to... Go, he told her. Just go. June's smile slipped a little, but it was soon back, and the kids never even flinched. She bundled them out of the door and into the car, telling them about the amount of space in the boot for all their shopping. Jeff sat down at the kitchen table, head in his hands. "'What's happening to me?' he asked himself. "'I used to be happy.' But that was it, wasn't it? He used to be too happy. Life wasn't meant to be all sunshine and roses. It was meant to be about endurance and getting through the day, which made those special moments all the more special. And what about love? Jeff hadn't really thought about it until lately. He should love his wife, love his kids, and they should love him, shouldn't they? They should care. He should care. But he didn't. He didn't because none of this mattered. None of this felt real. Jeff banged the table with his fist. The salt cellar tipped up and he watched as the tiny white grain spilled over the red checkered pattern of the tablecloth, then on to the floor. He looked around at his oh-so-perfect abode and sneered. Jeff grabbed the ketchup bottle, the sauce that splatters where it matters, and threw it across the room. Now we'll see what matters, he muttered. It made a satisfying shattering sound as it hit the wall, and Jeff felt good. Better than he had in days. Better than he ever had, really, because he actually felt something. He got up, walked across to the wall, and touched the redness there with his fingers. They came away wet, and he rubbed his lips with the sauce. Norman was outside waxing his car when Jeff came round. They exchanged hellos. Though Norman said nothing about the fact Jeff was still in his dressing gown, 
When Norman attempted to tell him about the new miracle waxing treatment for cars he just discovered that protected the paintwork against some of those irritating scratches that can occur when you're out and about, but he didn't seem to want to know. He was more interested in taking a tour of the shed. Norman's smile widened as if that were at all possible, and he told him, of course, of course, just follow me. Once they were at the shed and he'd unlocked it, Norman heard Jeff say from behind him, and now I have something to show you. Norman turned and saw the knife in Jeff's hand. They can cut through tin cans, you know. Norman smiled and nodded. He knew all about them, had some of his own indoors. What he wasn't sure about was why Jeff was choosing this particular moment to... The knife slid effortlessly into Norma's gut, and his smile turned into a grimace. But all he could think about was he wouldn't be able to finish waxing the car now. When June arrived back with the kids, she opened the front door and got a shock. They dropped the shopping and stood there, mouths gaping wide. The house had been trashed, not just the hallway, which looked like a herd of stampeding elephants had trampled through it, but the living room, too, on their right. Someone had smeared paint all over the walls in there, appending the chairs and couch, knocking the TV off the wall and smashing it. Though she didn't go upstairs, June suspected those rooms were in a similar state. When they came through into the kitchen, they saw Jeff. His hair was wild, and he still hadn't had a shave with the new five-blade contour razor she'd bought him, which clung to every curve of his chin. The first words out of June's mouth were, "'Jeff, how could this have happened when we're protected by Security Home?' The 24-hour alarm system that rings through to a special center when triggered, alerting the police to... We haven't been burgled, June, Jeff said evenly, though his look was just as wild as his hair. I did this. He was studying her for some kind of reaction, so June smiled. Honey, that's okay. We can soon get the place looking shipshape again. That paint will come right off with some grime-a-gone. Don't you want to know why? he asked her. June frowned, then smiled once more. You need to sit down and take it easy. Have an instant creamberries hot chocolate and... I don't want a fucking hot chocolate, Jeff snapped. Now stop fucking well grinning and look at me. June continued to smile, looking over his shoulder as she offered another solution, a soothing bath with aromatic oils. Look at me, snapped Jeff, or so help me, I'll... June continued to gaze past him, not even properly facing him when she heard the motor start up. Jeff pulled something out from behind his back and held it up. Norman's kindly lent me this, he said. Would you like to see how it works? Strangely, June and the kids all nodded. That's what's wrong with this place. They can't resist a demonstration. He'd given them a chance to get away, so... Okay, said Jeff, coming towards them with the chainsaw. When he dug the teeth into June's shoulder, he added, shouting above the cries, See how easily it cuts through human flesh and bone? June looked at him now, finally looked, as her blood sprayed across his face, and he saw fear in her eyes. How? How? And why? But it was too late. It was all too late. First June... Then the kids, who instead of running were watching their father as he talked them through it all. And then himself. 
Afterwards, they'd wake up somewhere else, somewhere normal, escape from all this, wake up, rested. He ignored the screams because this wasn't real, was it? None of this was life. Not real life. It couldn't be. This was all simply lifomatic, a pale imitation. He nodded, continuing his labors, trying not to wince at the sounds the blade made as it cut into his family. They sounded disturbingly real. He shook his head. It was lifomatic, that's all, a show, just life. Lifomatic. Just life. O-matic. That was Paul Kane's Life-O-Matic, as read by Martin Rato. In a variegated working life, Martin has been a parent, a technical writer, and software developer, a teacher of creative writing, computer science, and business communications, symphony musician, and audiobook narrator. He has published short fiction and two collections of his poetry. Thank you, as always, Martin. That'll be our show for the evening. Children of the Night, join us again next week another episode of Tales to Terrify. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 